My name is Aram, and I am the co-founder of Dead Ghost Productions. I also do the editing and sound design. My name is Dylan. I'm the other co-founder of Dead Ghost Productions. I do everything else. Welcome to Kill Kill Every every monster. Monster. In each episode, we are joined by a guest for a deep dive into a classic D&D monster. The first part is a discussion where we ask three core questions. What is this creature? How can they be made better? And are they truly a monster? For the Beholder episode, we were joined by writer and TikTok star Zach Nam, who dug into the weirdness of one of Dungeons & Dragons' most diabolical creatures. They are such a weird creature because they are one of the original D&D monsters, right? They are, you know, Gygax created it. It's one of the monsters that uh, Wizards of the Coast actually have like a trademark on because it is the original property. And because of that, they've gone through generations as, as you know, each edition has come out of changing in weird ways. And we have the fifth edition creature, but we also have all these like weird little backstory bits that are no longer canon, but still very weird. Like, did you know I found this out for this, that beholders used to uh, used to create more beholders because they had a womb tongue, a tongue womb. No. That's awful. Yeah. How did the womb tongue work? Don't ask so, that. No, no, we need to know now. How did <laughs> no, the womb don't. tongue work? Yeah, we do. So it would, it would, it was like a, it was like at the base of their tongue, at some point in their life, their tongue would swell. Fuck, I hate this. This is gonna get real body horror, by the way. It would protrude out of their mouth, and then they'd bite off their own tongue. Oh. And oh. the baby beholders would eat their way out of said tongue. Beholders. Oh. So this is like. Yes. Oh, fuck. So they would have a, a litter. I hate that. And then the mama beholder would pick the one that looked most like itself and then either kill or abandon the others. We hit all the big notes in our actual play session, including turning the beholder into a spinning disco ball of death. I mean, it's blind. All its eyes are blind, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. I think this is the point where we hit disco strobe lights. This felt like you were being very precise in the rays you chose. I think we've entered into the usual beholder territory. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Where it's just blasting at random. Yeah. That's perfect. Okay. Um, let's say, I mean, what percentage chance does one hit him? The usual rule is you roll three rays per turn, mm-hmm. and you just pick the target that they have an effect on. What we're going to do is going to keep that. Zach's going to roll three effects. Aram, you're going to pick one. Okay. That is going to hit you. Oh, that. I love that. Strictly speaking, you should have been hit by about six more effects than you have been already, Aram. So, this feels fair. So, four is telekinesis. And then uh, I've got age. You can eat that one pretty well. And then I've got modify memory. So, Aram, telekinesis, age, modify memory. Pick. Age or modify? I'm a dwarf. I'm going to pick age. You feel wrinkles deepen. I mean, proportionally, isn't this roughly equivalent to like, if he ages a decade, isn't that about like a year in 
our time? Not even. Not even. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel a little out of touch with current music. Yeah. That's how I feel. <laughs> but you see these eye lasers just like, like decimate through the population. How high are you off the ground? Now, even further. I mean, well, he was about 10 feet. He's going to use his movement to, like, fly up. Well, then I don't want to get off you. I'm going to try and hang on. Yeah, well, this is this is a large creature, and you teleported on top of it. So I feel like, I mean, large means it's at least the size of a fucking horse. And it's a sphere, so, I mean, I think it's reasonable that you can just stand on top of this thing unless it is actively trying to shake you off that I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to start trying to chop off eye stalks. Just take down one by one. Hell yeah. As you're cutting, it's like, the unconscious mind is soft, pliable, you dream of subjugation. As its words switch to being tyrannical from revolutionary. For the People episode, we were joined by the co-founders of Unprepared Casters. And Gus reminded us that every single one of us is just a little bit special. I oftentimes see a debate that like bounces around different D&D circles, which is a debate centering around if we were to give ourselves statistics, D&D statistics, how would those be represented? And there is a certain faction of people in this argument that seemed to if i were a person who believed this i would say okay everyone in here is a commoner we're not adventurers we're not we don't have any special abilities we we all have plus zeros to every single stat and me the actual person with my opinions thinks that that's bullshit what i truly think it is is that i think that the concept of a commoner has poisoned the minds of these people Commoners as a concept, commoners like sh shouldn't exist. Uh, like the a commoner stat block is an insult to people. There's Gus the capitalist coming out again. Commoners shouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I just think if they're not providing value, we don't need to have them. No, around. no, no. I just think I, no. Everyone is a little special, is what Gus is saying. Thank you. That's what I'm saying, Aram. Yes, yes. Everyone has talents. Everyone has like. Some people have plus zeros to every stat, but your average person doesn't and shouldn't. And and commoner as a concept is just sort of like like just filling in the gaps of like, oh, here are all the peasants in town or whatever. It's just like it's just it just shouldn't be a stat block. It just shouldn't. It, I, I don't know. It's just, it, and the fact that like some people who play D and D like assume that like it's, it makes me sad. Like, oh, I'm just a commoner. I don't, I, I have plus years to everything. I'm not special. Like, come on, come on. Even like the dumbest guy you know can like roll a quarter down his knuckles or, or like yeah. has, or, like has like knowledge of all the local lakes. Like everyone knows something unique and makes them special. Yeah. Four hit points is the insult. Why does a noble have double your hit points? Because <laughs> hey. they have better food. Okay. <laughs> That's, I'm not actually going to fight that. <laughs> this is the second time you said something reasonable today. Good work. <laughs> Rom managed to be a bigger bastard than usual when he took on the role of an arrogant thug who thought himself the hero. He turns to Gareth. Fine. Burn the inn. Roll me your choice. Actually, no, not your choice. Fuck you. <laughs> Roll me intimidate. 
That's absolutely not a persuade check. Jesus, that is a 19 plus one is 20. You see the hesitation. You see the full flinch when you give that command. You see Ilial's eyes go wide and you see Gareth like, take a second. And then the hand starts to glow again. Uh, He starts chanting words that no one in town understands. And that glow starts to take on this reddish glowing hue. Rom, make me a flat charisma. Four. Plus one is five. Ilial punches him in the throat. (laughs) (laughs) You have not garnered that level of fucking loyalty. (laughs) Absolutely not. And like, when he staggers back, she puts an arrow through the, like half the book into the ground, just pins it in place. Like, what are you doing? He just storms over, gets right in their face. We are taking control. There is a town three hours right north that quite frankly, and I mean no offense, whoever you are, is nicer. That town is not mine. I am their hero. I am your champion. I saved all of you over and over. And this is how you treat me? This is the hospitality I'm shown. Give me an intimidation roll at disadvantage. (laughs) Because you're getting the entire town at your back, basically sandbagging this. (laughs) While he's over there doing this, just with a, a wry sort of grin, can I just sort of swirl my staff and cast a cure wounds on my son? <laughs> 100%, yeah. Hey, my son, you can take six hit points back. Yay! <laughs> Paleontologist Trevor Vale gave a passionate plea for making your dinosaurs smarter. Are dinosaurs monsters? No. But have we, as people, decided they are monsters? Yes. Yes, Exactly. They are animals. They're, um, in stat-wise, they're considered beasts. But if your party is camping, and all of a sudden they hear these large thudding footsteps, and out steps a 49-foot-long nine-ton animal full of banana-sized teeth and chomps down on your paladin going straight through his plate armor. Yeah, that would be pretty monstrous. Like, if you look at the Jurassic Park movies, those dinosaurs are given malicious intent, which is the key phrase we use when we decide if something is monstrous. They kill for reasons beyond defense or food. They kind of kill just for a good joke. True. And those are genetically engineered with other animals like frogs and crap like that. But here's the thing. You have evidence of animals being kept in captivity that decide to go against their captors. And you can argue that in Jurassic Park, that's what the raptors did. There are famous examples of elephants being mistreated in zoos and circuses that get out and maliciously target and trample their their keepers that were abusing them. The lions of Savo became meat eaters, and half the time 
They were just killing people, not necessarily also eating them. Even breeding, a male lion will kill the young of a uh, group of lionesses that are not his. So there is a maliciousness in nature, but dinosaurs, since we're not 100% sure on their behaviors, we can infer them by the way we find skeletons and the way that modern analogs act. Would they do that? Probably not. Would they do it to protect their own kind like a triceratops herd? Yes, absolutely. That's a defensive action. But a T-Rex just coming out of the woods uh, or chasing you in a swampland just to kill you and then walk off? No, it's hungry. But the main thing is they're not dumb. And that is what I absolutely abhor, hate, and despise how dinosaurs are portrayed in Dungeons and Dragons. That they are dumb, unfeeling, stupid beasts. Even in first edition, the Tyrannosaurus Rex is said that it is so stupid and savage that it will tear off the head of a Triceratops and swallow it. And then it dies hours later as the horns pierce its internal organs. I remember reading that. And as a kid, I thought, that's bullshit. Yeah, it's 100% <laughs> bullshit. For the actual play, we dropped a herring gun into a magical and recently vacated dinosaur zoo. The path starts to divert. Like, oh, some of the cells are a little larger and they take up more of that next internal ring. So it looks like it's beginning to, flashback to the early one, snake its way through this large enclosed area. And again, with your high passive perception, you begin to hear movement here and there. Some of it inside the cells, some of it uh, nearby trees. There's a collection of brilliant bird song that's absolutely unfamiliar to you. Large packs of trills and re return calls back and forth. Just this kind of almost primal cacophony. Yeah. But not your songbirds or anything that you've ever heard before. You know, I'm looking at my buddy Lichling here and realizing that if something was looking at us that wanted to eat us, there's only one of us that looks tasty. And it's not him. The moment you think that, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the bird calls stop. Oh, shit. And what you thought were up in the trees are actually on the ground, racing toward the lichling. There are these five brilliantly colored birds running bipedally fairly quickly. Some are like scarlet blue and red, little bits of that iridescent purple that shines in the sunlight. And as you watch them, they're not flying, they are flapping their wings. And each of them has one extremely sharp talon on each of their feet. And as a group, they leap upon the lichling. Even with your high perception, you did not see them coming. Yeah, they are quick birds. So what am I looking at? I'm looking at like giant birds. I'm looking at like giant angry birds. They basically look like very colorful long-tailed turkeys with a horrifically sharp set of teeth. 
in this almost reptilian-like mall. Mean parrot turkeys. Right. Yeah, mean parrot turkeys is a great way to say it. And they are swarming Lichling, and it's kind of disturbing at first because they're taking these small leaps, latching their claws on, and starting to bite and rake. Izzy is a GM, voice actor, and a passionate fan of bears that run on bird software. Displacer Beast is the best example, I think, of um, of a more animalistic creature that is also clearly inherently evil. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is inherently a monster that will definitely kill you just for fun whenever it felt like it could get away with it. It was a Tuesday. Nothing had died yet. <laughs> right. Guess what? It's your turn. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's kind of fascinating to imagine, like, the, you know, these monsters with their, I guess several of them, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, have alignments. Yeah. And will straight up say, like, yeah, this this monster is a bad dude. And it's so interesting to me to think of an owl bear or any bear or an owl being like, I don't like you. Like, what did I do to you? <laughs> like, can I change you it? You in particular. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, you, you right there. You and your fucking shirt. Get out. But crows hold grudges. And if you're mean to one of them, they'll remember and the rest of the flock who saw you be mean to them will remember. So maybe an owlbear could hold a grudge, could want to hurt you because of that. I could see it go either way. And this is the thing is even when they're described, owlbears are described animalistically. It's not necessarily that they are ruthless and cruel. They have a reputation for ferocity, aggression, stubbornness, and sheer ill temper. They are grumpy little fucks, which, (laughs) in my opinion, couples very nicely to the idea that they're a bear running on bird software. It's just like, imagine if you went to an owl and were just like, you're only allowed to walk now. You'd be pissed. You still have to hunt and kill things, and they're just walking around. This is fucking horse shit. Elves do look perpetually grumpy on their own, too. They do look super angry. (laughs) I don't know a lot of owls, but every owl I've ever met has been like, ooh, I miffed. Every time that head swings around, it's always like, what the fuck? Whoa, my God, I'm so sorry, owl. (laughs) Yeah, and then you imagine a bear doing that, and you're like, shit, well, do I deserve to be here? For the Owlbear AP, we explored the magical origins of this beloved D&D murder machine. Izzy, I want to know, when did the pull start? I don't have a great sense of time, necessarily. I'm, I'm out on my own. My kids are grown-ish, by which I mean they're two and able to eat on their own. My mate has has rolled out, and uh, for the last couple of units of time, I've been on my own enjoying life. And then maybe just two or three mornings ago, I woke up to this sensation of almost a physical, like, like you've said, pulling. Like something inside of me was trying to move, almost like, um, like, a, like a muscle spasm. Just this need to like, oh, gotta go. (laughs) 
that sort of wake up in the morning, you smell the air, it's that first time where you get that whiff of like crisp autumn air. You've been through a couple of winters, so this is brand new to you, or have you ever like felt this and it was just like not the right time, you managed to sort of bury it, or is this just a fully new sensation? I think there was maybe one time before, maybe my first winter after the Cubs, that I was sort of like, what? Ah, Something's going on here. Uh, But you know, the kids. a guy of responsibilities. It was it was easy enough to ignore, you know, whatever the, the maternal instinct. You gotta get them to bed. They have class. Gotta brush in the their morning, little teeth. Breakfast. Yeah, that's wild. Children. God. Uh. <laughs> Has this been like a hard driving? Like I'm going, or has it been sort of more meandering path? Oh, it's it's going. There is a goal, a destination in mind. I don't know where I'm going, but I feel this movement forward. I think where we're going to leave you off is there is a moment in this where you get to the edge of your territory and you pass it. And then you get to the edge of the wood. You hit plains. And this is territory where there you don't come out here. There isn't good hunting here. And I think for the first time in your life, you look out over wide, distant plains, and you run. And these are just some of the more than 50 creatures we've featured on Kill Every Monster. Listen to the show anywhere you get your podcasts or at killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill Kill Every Monster. Monster. The ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Faerun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets. kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the iron claw of the red dragon Chazar. The great lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at aram.gay.